Welcome to the Holistic Psychiatry Podcast. This is Courtney Snyder, a physician and holistic adult and child psychiatrist. In anticipation of Valentine's Day and Singles Day, I'll be talking about fulfilling relationships, balancing togetherness and separateness. Though we are wired for connection, we're also separate human beings. How we navigate these two realities can make all the difference in the quality of our relationships and our lives. Our relationships can be with the family we grew up in, our friendships, romantic relationships, partnerships, marriage, and the families we create. In this episode, using Dr. Murray Bowen's family system theory, I'll discuss the tension that exists in couples and families because of the need to be together, but also to be separate. I'll be talking about what being out of balance can look like in a system, what this can look like for us individually, and how we can move towards more balance in our relationships. We don't need to be in a relationship to be impacted by these forces. We all carry within us expectations of togetherness and separateness from the families we grew up in. Our parents carried their own norms based on their families of origin. Through our repeated experience within our families, our neuronal pathways were reinforced. This can impact how comforting or threatening togetherness feels and how comforting or threatening separateness feels. Other factors, which I'm not focusing on here, such as toxicity, can also impact how safe we feel as well. So here are my 10 thoughts. Number one, system. A system can be two people, a family, or any group. When thinking about systems, the focus is not on the individual. Instead, there is a recognition that what affects one person affects the others in the system. This is not unlike a threat response moving through a herd of animals. When one person is stressed, the others will feel it. At the same time, a symptom or pathology in one person is considered a pathology in the system. As with any theory, again, this doesn't account for everything, including many of the underlying root causes that I write about, but it certainly speaks to the ubiquitous and invisible forces that can be adding to chronic stress and impacting our well-being and even keeping us from healing or thriving. Number two, anxiety. In all relationships, there exists an emotional tension that comes largely out of a pull between the competing goals, the need for togetherness and the need for separateness. While togetherness can lower anxiety when we feel stressed we pull together, too much togetherness can raise anxiety. That's when we lose ourselves. Number three, fusion is another way to describe this togetherness. Fusion is giving up part of ourselves to be part of the system, with all the benefits that come with that. How much we give to the system inevitably takes from how much we have left for ourselves individually. This amount of fusion differs in families, and again, we each bring an idea of how much of ourselves we give or lose in the systems we enter or create. There is a lot of fluidity here, and this is not all or none. Stress upon the system will add to this fusion. The problems come when things aren't fluid, when things become fixed and intractable. In this case, the tension or anxiety can show up as conflict in its many shapes and forms, emotional distance, and this is where 
Members will pull away from the system, disengage. Dysfunction would be another example. This may be when certain members of the family dominate and others are forced to submit. Other consequences could be sickness or even addiction. While there are many ways we can become sick, as I write a lot about, the stress of a highly, of a highly anxious-infused system can add to chronic stress, which further impacts health. The movie, When a Man Needs a Woman, illustrates this well. The movie is about addiction in families, but it is also about a family system without differentiation, which I'll discuss. Meg Ryan's character, who becomes dependent on alcohol, is the carrier of the anxiety for this system or family. From this perspective, her illness further increases the anxiety in the family. From this perspective, her healing is very much related to the healing of the system. Another consequence can be projecting the anxiety between the parents onto the children. The anxiety gets passed around the system and will often land on the children. This deserves its own newsletter, but for now, that brings us to number four, triangles. This is when two people have tension, this normal tension, they shift or project their anxiety onto a third party or focus. A couple might focus on their children to avoid marital conflict. A spouse or partner might work excessively, spend all their free time with friends, have an affair, become increasingly ill, or develop an addiction. Two friends might talk about another friend. This too can creates a triangle. As does a parent talking to one of their children about their spouse. They may turn to their child for emotional support and parentify, as we call it, their child. Siblings may talk about each other to their parent or other siblings. Not only are these symptoms of high anxiety in the system, they also further raise anxiety in the system by diminishing trust. Number five, differentiation. Though Bowen's theory is focused on the systems, there is a recognition of the individual. Differentiation involves two main aspects. The first is to balance between connection and separateness, as I talked about with the system. The second is to balance between being guided by our feelings and guided by our thought or our intellectual capacity. Without some insight here, we may be more susceptible to participate in the spread of anxiety through a system. Differentiation, according to Bowen's theory, can be measured on a scale from 1 to 100. Bowen would say that our baseline is mostly fixed from the time we leave home and that we partner with people who are at the same level. It is rare to be above 60. We can fluctuate from how differentiated we are depending on how much stress we are under and how many tools we have learned. The person who is the least differentiated will often be the bearer of the symptoms. And in many cases, this could be a child as they are very dependent on their parents, for example. I would say that there are physiologic drivers that separately can be addressed that can lower our emotional reactivity. Just naming high copper and high pyrroles as two examples. And addressing such physiologic drivers can improve our ability to pause and be thoughtful about a situation. Number six, lower levels of differentiation. 
You will recognize these traits, but keep in mind that this is less about an individual and more about an individual in a system. Within a family, there can be differences in how differentiated members are. So first, someone that's on a lower level of differentiation will be more emotionally reactive within the system. They'll have difficulty engaging in thoughtful behavior. They'll have difficulty saying no, communicating directly. They'll be more critical and judgmental. They'll be more concerned about approval and more dependent on others. They'll have difficulty making decisions, be more prone to conflict, emotional distancing, and triangles. They may have more physical problems, emotional problems, and social problems. And they may have repeated problematic relationships rather than learning from their mistakes. Number seven, factors that impact our level of differentiation. First, our family of origin. We could have come from a family that encouraged togetherness and not autonomy. Families differ in terms of norms about how much each is in each other's physical, emotional, or psychic space. Appropriate boundaries can mean very different things, even among cultures. When a family is enmeshed, and now this comes out of uh, Salvador Mnuchin's structural family therapy, would include enmeshment, describing a system in which there's not enough separateness, At the other end of the spectrum could be disengagement, and this describes a system in which family members are entirely emotionally separate from one another. Another factor that can impact our level of differentiation is our culture. Until recent increased awareness about love bombing, as it's called, many movies celebrated stories in which one person swoops in, rescues, or overwhelms the other with gifts and attention with little regard for the other person's separate wishes or desires. Even with more evolved love stories, we rarely see a couple navigating the challenges of togetherness and separateness as they begin their day-to-day life together. We also live in a culture that normalizes telling each other what to do, or what I call stomping on the soul of another. Thank you, Parker Palmer, who I borrow that from. We might rationalize our stomping on someone's soul by saying we have good intentions. Honoring the separate thoughts, feelings, desires, and journey of another are not necessarily valued. A third contributing factor to lower differentiation can be stress on the system, sometimes awful things. Naturally, this increases the instinct for togetherness and fusion, but if the system gets stuck there, this can lead to additional stress. And lastly, I would say temperament and biochemistry can fuel some of these. That doesn't come out of family systems theory, and again, not the focus here. Number eight, differentiated. The more differentiated we are, the more we can enjoy fulfilling relationships, be independent, be able to self-soothe, and have overall better health and well-being. When we are differentiated and not in a relationship, We are able to be content, live fully, rather than wait for someone to come and complete, rescue, or heal us. When we are differentiated, we are not reactive, but calm and able to recognize emotions and not repress or act them out. We are less susceptible to taking the hot potato, the anxiety in the system, and running with it. We can be thoughtful about what is happening and about others. We don't give in to others. 
We are less vulnerable to stress. We are independent and we are less prone to triangles. Number nine, how do we become differentiated? We can learn coping skills. For example, there's many tools to learn how to stay calm in a stressful situation. We can learn about boundaries. These can include staying focused on our own experience, using phrases like I think and I feel, instead of speaking on behalf of others or talking about perceived thoughts, feelings, or intentions of others. Another way we can have boundaries is to avoid triangles. This requires communication between two people so that a third party or focus isn't brought in. Within families and groups, we can avoid taking sides. We can avoid, again, becoming part of a triangle there. If we find ourselves talking about one family member with another, that could be a triangle. I see an exception to this when parents have the shared responsibility, figuring out together how to meet the needs of their children. That's different from their excessively focusing on a child to avoid tension in the marriage. Another way of setting boundaries could be having one-to-one contact with each family member and avoiding having communication through other family members. Again, avoiding triangles. This doesn't mean not to be together as a family. To also help us differentiate, we can look at patterns in the family we grew up in. How much tension or anxiety was in the system? How did it travel? Was there frequent conflict, distancing, triangles, addiction, or illness? How do these experiences shape our expectation of what it means to be together or to be separate? We can consider learning systems theory. It will change not only how you see relationships, but other groups and systems, including global systems. There are some great YouTube videos on Bowen's family systems theory. We can learn, finally, to assume responsibility for our own life. This may sound obvious, but if you grew up in a family system where there was a great deal of fusion, it could be easy to blame, to overfunction at the expense of yourself in relationships, or to underfunction and expect someone else to do the hard work of achieving your life's goals. Number 10. Can one person change a system from within? Obviously, this will depend on many factors. I do think it can be problematic for someone, especially someone who overfunctions, to believe that they can single-handedly fix their family of origin, their partnership, marriage, or their current family. Recently, however, I've noticed multiple social media ads by family therapists and coaches targeting women who are unhappy in their relationships or marriage. They emphasize that the partners do not need to be involved, which would seem counter to some family and couples therapy, since the express goal is to transform the relationship. The intention, I want to think, is to attempt to influence the system from within by helping one person in the system shore up their boundaries, their self-care, and learn to communicate their feelings and thoughts to essentially help them become exceedingly differentiated. From a systems perspective, if one person can bring high anxiety to a system that spreads like wildfire, then one person could potentially bring a calming, grounded, confident presence that has the potential to pass over the system like a wave, or at least to cause some ripples of change. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to receive these newsletters, 
with text and audio in your mailbox each week, please consider subscribing at CourtneySnyderMD.com or on Substack. Until next time, take care.